Yo, hello everybody. This is the greatest show on dirt coming to you live from the Sweet Bee Studios. I'm your host, Quentin. It's Sunday night, and I've been watching baseball all weekend long. I've been completely unproductive whatsoever, and it feels phenomenal. The only bad thing about the weekend was that the Chicago Cubs got swept by the St. Louis Cardinals. They didn't look particularly well. The Cubs didn't. They weren't hitting baseballs. They weren't pitching baseballs very good. And the thing looks bad, but hey, you know, you can't have a cup season without some really horrible losses because that's what keeps you coming back for, you know, beer, basically. You know, that's what it's like to be a Cubs fan. But other than that, you know, my weekend was pretty good. I hope your weekend was just as good. Um, I can tell you one thing, though. During the Cubs broadcast, the Chicago Cubs coming up as all teams generally have giveaways where if you're like one of the first 10,000 fans, you can get a gift when you get into the ballpark. You know, get there early and get your gift, right? And the Chicago Cubs have a giveaway coming up that I'm exceptionally excited about. If I could jump on a plane, I would spend $500 on a plane ticket just to go get this gift. It is a Stranger Things fanny pack. Now, you guys know, if you listen to my show, you know I'm a huge fan of the fanny pack. I love the sexiness of a fanny pack. I love the handiness of a fanny pack, and I love the style of a fanny pack, right? I I was born in 83. I love 90s style, man. The day Jordache stonewashed jeans come back into style with maybe like a Z Cavarici crew neck sweatshirt will be the greatest day of my life, but the fanny pack it's coming back. And the fact that it's a Stranger Things fanny pack is even better. I put Stranger Things as one of my all-time favorite Netflix binges. I loved that binge, right? And (laughs) the fact, if I could get a Stranger Things fanny pack, and I would pay top dollar on eBay. I'll tell you this, usually very popular giveaways, people will get the giveaway and then they'll sell it on eBay because they want to make the big bucks. And the big bucks are with the Stranger Things fanny pack. Now, I, I probably am not going to go to Chicago get the fanny pack. But if I see the fanny pack on the Electronic Bay, I will spend $100 on it if I have to even more, you know. And I told my wife about the fanny pack and she shook her head at me in disappointment. And there's really not much worse than when your wife shakes your head in disappointment. And my heart was especially crushed because I have such a desire to have a fanny pack, right? And my as my wife, she says, no, she says, Quinn, you can't wear a fanny pack, man. And I told her, I said, well, it, would it make me a sex symbol if I wore the fanny pack? Because we're married and I don't want to give her the wrong impression that I'm doing the podcast for all the wrong reasons. And she laughed in my face. <laughs> now I don't know what that means, but I told her about all the handiness of a you know, of, of a, a, a fanny pack, right? And professional wrestlers also wear fanny packs, like the Rock, fanny pack guy. Stone Cold Steve Austin, fanny pack guy. Bret Hart, Owen Hart, rest in peace, fanny pack guys. Dude, like, that'd be amazing. And then I thought to myself, like, dude, well, what would I want for, like, a giveaway? Like, if I was running a team, like, what sort of things would I pick for a giveaway? Like, number one, I would like pogs to come back. Like, you know, a pog where you hit the slammer down. I would love a pog night at a local baseball game or maybe like a Nexium night. Not the sex cult Nexium, but the heartburn medicine Nexium because I get often, I get very frequent heartburn. But then when I go to a baseball game, I go ham 
because I eat a lot of delicious treats and usually acid reflux sneaks up on me. So if I could walk into a baseball game and get a couple Nexium, I'd feel really good about that giveaway, man. I would just love it, you know? Um, but you know what I would also love for a promotion? I would love if adults could run on the baseball field. Okay, so listen. It, when you go to a baseball game, you, they're always like advertising like kids 10 and under get to run on the baseball field. And like that's cool. But I'm really freaking jealous of these 10-year-old kids. Like, I watch them running the bases on the field, and I'm just like, I just wish you would just trip and fall on your face because I want to run on the baseball field. But there's never, like, a thing. There's never a promotion in a baseball stadium that's like, adults, 35 years and older, get to run on the baseball field. They don't do that sort of things. Like, what about me? You selfish ass. What if I want to run on the field where the big leaguers do, huh? I'm pretty sure I could round second before I gave way to, like, my lungs burning and aching in my chest, right? So, like, I don't know if I could run the whole bases. So maybe, you know, because, like, the supply and demand, maybe you could just be, like, adults 35 years and older can circle second base <laughs> before the game, you know what I mean? Because that's about as far as we can make it, and that's what I would like to see, right? Screw these 10-year-old kids get to run the bases all the freaking time, right? And also, you know what I don't like? Being an adult, if you catch a foul ball, like, I don't have kids, right? Because if I caught a foul ball, I'd obviously give it to my kid, but then as soon as we got home, I would take it from my kid and then just give them, like, some stupid baseball from Walmart, right? Because kids don't know any better. So, but, like, being an, a, an adult with no kids, you know, if I go to a ball game with my wife and, like, I catch a baseball, like, I feel obligated that I have to, like, give it to the kid next to me, right? Like, for example, like, I caught the ball fair and square. Now, granted, I'm 6'2", and the kid next to me is, like, 2'5". That's not my problem, pal. Like, you should have brought your glove and reached it a little higher, right? So the fact of the matter that I caught the ball, and then all the fans in the park are looking around like, are you going to give the ball to the kid? And, like, I've got one foul ball my whole life, and it was at a Charlotte Knights AAA game. And at my knee-jerk reaction out of just the guilt that I was immediately feeling was I had to give the ball to the kid next to me. I didn't want to give that kid the ball. Chances are whoever that kid is doesn't even have the ball anymore. I would have the ball in my podcast studio. So I don't like that obligation of having to give the ball to like a kid sitting there who you don't even know, who probably is only there because his parents drug him to a baseball game, and all he wants to do is leave and play soccer. Like, go play soccer, David Beckham. We're in a real man sport right now. Give me that foul ball. But I can't do it, dude. It, it's, it's frustrating, man. It really is. Um, okay, let's get to... All right, guys, I got to catch my breath. I don't have a guest on this week's episode, so I'm just trying not to, like, breathe heavy into the mic while I'm giving you this delicious monologue of baseball news. So check it, man. There and women who listen to the podcast 
I wear a fanny pack, don't you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> MLB, as obviously there have been expansion talks, right? We're hearing expansion talks. They may or may not be heating up a little bit. There is a local radio station in Charlotte that's been like talking a lot about expansion. You know, is it going to happen? Is Charlotte a good city? So I'm going to give you guys the rundown on the expansion, right? So listen up. Here we go. Rob Manfred has already said that he would like to expand the league to 32 teams. But he also says that we aren't discussing this right now. And that's mostly because the Oakland Athletics and the Tampa Bay Rays, they need to get their house in order, right? They need new ballparks. And their attendance isn't the hottest, even though they both are producing really good teams. The Tampa Bay Rays are a really good team this year. And the A's are getting there. But the A's were a 97-win team last year, you know. But there are some uh, stadium problems with them. So, for example, like, I can tell you what's wrong with the Tampa Bay Rays situation. Tampa Bay Rays, they're a good team. Like, leading up to their 2008 World Series, I think they were pretty much a dud team. And then they had a 10-year, or maybe it wasn't a 10-year stretch, but a pretty damn good stretch after they went to the World Series where they were putting together winning seasons every year. But... The, the, the attendance at Tropicana Field, not so hot, right? And I got a buddy, Justin Johnson, who listens to the podcast. What's up, man, if you're listening? And I talked to him about this one day, I think on, it was Facebook or something like that. Because there's been, it's been said and talked about that, hey, Tampa Bay fans aren't coming out. and We got to get this team out of here. But as my buddy Justin told me, he said, listen, where Tropicana Field is located, it's just impossible to get to. You've got to cross some sort of bridge. It's out of the way and traffic is just jam packed. And when we live in a world today versus like 1980, you have more houses now where both parents are working. So it's almost impossible for both parents to get off work and then to drive like another hour plus to go to a stinking baseball game when all they want to do is just like maybe take a break, right? And not do that sort of thing because even around big cities, big cities are growing faster than ever in traffic is worse than it's ever been. No matter what city you live in, traffic is exponentially worse now than it was probably five years ago, right? That's not a joke. It's just it's just the truth, right? So I, I begin to wonder, you know, and part of me thinks, hey, listen, man, is, is it the fans that aren't showing up to the game so we should just take the team from them? Or are Major League Baseball teams maybe not making it easy enough for fans to come out to the game, right? So, for example, when you go to Bush Stadium in St. Louis, Bush Stadium is a really easy stadium to get to because maybe a few miles before the stadium, you can just drive your car to a mall, and then there's a shuttle that takes you right to the game. Now, me, I'm not the best driver in the world, and I get a bit overwhelmed if I've got to like park close to like a ballpark or any sort of stadium and figure out where I'm going to go. My acid reflux acts up, my deodorant doesn't hold up, and I get a little anxious, man, but I did like the experience in St. Louis with just being able to know, man, hey, I can park my car here for free, I pay five bucks, I get on this little tram, and hey, man, I'm going to watch a baseball game in no time, and I, I, I do like that, you know, and I do believe that in this world we live in, this on-demand world where you can get flamethrowers on Amazon and you never have to leave your house to buy anything, I think it needs to be communicated to fans just how easy 
that they could get to the baseball game because those things, those are the things that speak to us in our life, man. We do things because it's easy. I will avoid going to Walmart, like if I really need something, and I'll just order it from Amazon and wait two days because I don't have to leave my house. I understand how lazy that sounds, but you know, like I said, I live in a big city. I work in Charlotte. You know, traffic everywhere is so hectic. Your time has never been more valuable than it is right now, especially when a parent lives in a house where both people work, you know, and that takes time away from really the things that you just have to do as an adult, right? And that, that's a good thing, obviously, you know, but going to a baseball game, I don't believe has ever been harder to go to a baseball game than it is right now because of one, that time, heavy congestion, and cities just growing. And then two, a lot of it has to do with the prices that you just have to pay to go to a baseball game. You know, part of the reason that I hate going to hot summer baseball games, you know, the closest stadium to me is SunTrust Park in Atlanta. I don't know if you've ever been to Atlanta in July, but it's what I would imagine living on the surface of the sun, right? Like it's it's horrible for one. And I would just have more fun probably, I don't know, in a porta potty at a county fair. <laughs> you know, it's just not appealing to sit in there. Like one, I'm pasty. Two, I'll sunburn. And three, a bottle of water is nine dollars. Like a a like a sixteen point nine ounce bottle of Aquafina is like nine dollars at a ballpark. Bro, that's not even enough to keep me cool for the next 10 minutes. Like, I ran a watermelon stand in college, right? The poor boy market, the po' boy market. We sold watermelon and cantaloupe and the best tomatoes. We had them number one melons, not the number two melons. That was the guy in the next town. We had the number one melons. I would drink like four gallons of water in eight hours and not pee once because you sweat it out. Sounds disgusting, but it's like that at a baseball game. So not only can you not afford to go to a ball game, you just don't have time for the crap. So one of the things when it comes to this attendance thing, because oddly enough, the report just came out, Major League Baseball attendance has declined again this year. Last year, the excuse was, oh, the weather was bad, which the weather was atrocious. This year, not so much. Attendance is still down. Hey, man, it's hard to get to a ball game. And it's just too gosh dang expensive. But I'm going to give you the rundown on the teams that are sort of in the running. Like the teams that Rob Manfred has mentioned would be good for expansion. The first team he mentioned was Portland, Oregon, Las Vegas, Nevada, Charlotte, North Carolina, Nashville, Tennessee, and Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Okay, And he did said Mexico later on, but Mexico's not really going to be like Team 31 or Team 32, right? So as far as that whole list of teams I named you, ooh, really got to get my breath on this one, man. <laughs> um, Charlotte, North Carolina, probably not so much. It seems like Portland is super in the running to get this team. They already have $1.3 raised. You need about $2 million to like get the initial expansion done. So two million would be the goal. They've already got 1.3 million spearheaded by some former Nike executive, and also like when it comes to bringing a us an athletic team into town, Nike headquarters are in Portland as well as Under Armour and Adidas North America. So they're huge sponsors in Portland, and Portland also has money raised by this former Nike exec, right? So out of all those teams, Portland would seem like um 
a destination for MLB expansion that's serious, that's a serious contender for it. The other serious contender is Montreal, and they want to bring the Montreal Expos back, and I couldn't be happier about bringing the Montreal Expos back. I love the team colors. I love Olympic Stadium. I hope they would continue to play in Olympic Stadium, but because of growth and the way the place is set up, hey, Olympic Stadium might not be the place to play. Now, I've talked about this before on social media, and I'll post that I really love the Montreal Expos, and I, I truly believe if they came back, they would do really good because many things that are popular kind of like get out of popularity and then they come back in, right? And I feel like with the Montreal Expos, they have this sort of like cult classic feeling about them where they have this cult following where people just love the Expos, right? And the Expos, I only figured this out today. The owner of the Expos, um, when they moved, was Jeffrey Loria, the guy that ran the Miami Marlins into the ground. Listen, yeah, Jeffrey Loria owned the Expos, and he sold them to Major League Baseball after they were pretty much already in the dumps, and then Major League Baseball sold the team, and the team moved to Washington, D.C., and now they're the Nationals, right? And... Jeffrey Loya has been known as and called one of the worst owners in sports history. It's believed that Jeffrey Loya's direct actions led to the Expos leaving town and that he never intended to keep the Expos there in the first place. He's a notoriously bad businessman in the realm of Major League Baseball. The Expos fans despised him. In like the year 2000, Jeffrey Loya failed to get an English-speaking radio deal and a big television contract that would have brought in more revenue. Like, he just didn't do it. It didn't happen, man. Horrible owner, which tells me, I would imagine people probably just don't want to work with the guy. So, you've got that. And I do know this for a fact. The strike in 1994 hurt the Expos a lot. And so that, the strike, in combination with Jeffrey Loria buying the team, I think those two things just sent him out. And Expos fans really felt hurt, angered, betrayed by Major League Baseball going on strike when they were on their way to win the World, to go to the World Series, probably. I mean, they were loaded. And then Jeffrey Loria coming in and just really not doing anything for the Expos fan base. Exactly like he did in South Beach with the freaking Marlins. And South South Florida despises Jeffrey Lawyer because they know who he is, is an actual person. But the thing I like about the Expos, again, is this cult following. I believe they have. I believe the fan base is ready for it. I believe the fan base wants it now under right ownership and the right marketing. I think this thing can really go through. Now, I wish... I could think of things off the top of my head that have like left and come back that people enjoy, but I do know like in our world, we have this longing for like this nostalgic thing that we enjoy, right? Like for example, vinyl records, okay? Music, you know, vinyl goes away, cassettes go away, CDs go away, and now we just listen to music on our phones. We don't have like the physical album to hold. Right, and we uh, many people miss that sort of thing. Vinyl sales over the last like four and five years have skyrocketed because it brings back that 
nostalgic feeling that we once had. It takes us down memory lane. It makes us feel good. It's an experience that we can touch and we can look at with the design of the cover in the album and stuff like that. And I've even said before that I think Blockbuster and Toys R Us, I don't know how many years down the road, will come back because Blockbuster, I feel like, sort of has like that cult following, like nostalgic feeling of like, man, wouldn't it be great just to walk in a Blockbuster and shop for like movies and look at the back of the covers and rent a video game? Right when we were kids, that was fun. And it was like that with Toys R Us too. Like the second Toys R Us closed down, people were talking like, that there were offers to like buy the brand and this and that and like rejuvenate it, right? And so I truly believe that. And I put the Montreal Expo sort of in that category of like, dude, there's a cult following there. There's this nostalgic factor to it. I mean, for crying out loud, people still buy Expos hats. And for the Expos to come back, listen, it wouldn't be just an expansion team that we've never heard of that just comes up in midair because one of the most difficult things about an expansion team is creating that story of one, who is this team and what does it mean to me? And then two, like who's going to be a fan of this team, right? Do you want, like if a, if a baseball team were to come to Charlotte, like I'm not going to like abandon my Cubs fandom, even though like I don't live in Illinois anymore to follow this team like you've just made up. But the Expos, the Montreal Expos mean something. It currently means something to baseball fans, I guarantee it means a shit ton to Montreal fans in Canada, but it even means something to American fans. You know, like when Bartolo Colon was the last expo that was an active Major League Baseball player, like that was a thing, you know? And if the expos came back and made it to Montreal or to any other city, I think it would be huge. So when you factor in the Expos being able to come back because they already have an established story, they would be huge for baseball because it would be a really good comeback story. Maybe like when the Browns left the NFL and came back and they found success, and now they've got a really good quarterback, and I think they won seven games last year. And then one of the things I like about Portland is it's just a sports town, and I think where the stadium would be built, if I remember correctly, it might, it would be built on like a, some sort of like riverfront or something like that. And if they were able to build the stadium and make it accessible to fans, then you could get people to come out. And I'll stand by that right now, man. A baseball game's never been harder to go to. And Major League Baseball needs to focus on making it easy to get fans out and making it more affordable for fans to come out with their friends and, you know, bring their two or three kids and not have to spend $250, $300 on tickets and food and all that other crap, right? Because right now, many people only go to baseball games when their employer pays for it and they get to go in a suite, in a box, because they don't want to pay for the food because guess what? The $8.50 hot dog, I mean, it's not that great. Like, I'm pretty sure they boiled it and then put it on the rollers, and it's probably the same hot dog they sell at the Circle K, right? For a dollar and a quarter, right? Those hot dogs sort of suck, right? But I'll buy it for $2.50 because I know what I'm getting. But for $7.50, give me a break, man. But that's where I'm at on MLB Expansion, dude. You're at Portland. You are at Montreal. The reason why Charlotte probably isn't going to get it because they don't have the financial backing for it. And also, it's like sort of Braves country down here. But still, people will go to a baseball game if their team's coming to town. And that could sort of be a problem. 
I don't the way Charlotte is heavily congested, I think Charlotte would be a city like no matter what, it would just be hard to get to the baseball game. That's what I see for sure. Uh, Nashville, Tennessee, dude, they've got a major league soccer team coming about in 2020. So raising the funds for that would be super hard. And then what other teams did I name? Las Vegas. Uh, Las Vegas is just a weird thing, man. What I read was in Las Vegas, there are six teams that have TV rights in that area. And apparently that's a thing that would come into play and maybe make things difficult to bring an expansion team in there. And then plus, like, obviously the Golden Knights are there. And they're doing well. But the Oakland Raiders are going to come, I think, in 2020. And so we kind of don't know, like, what that's going to do. And then when Las Vegas, there's the whole, like, listen, is it just going to be tourists that come to the game? And if so, can we really pull them away from the casino? Because people go to Vegas to, I guess, gamble, get hookers, and basically do what they did on the movie The Hangover, which sounds really fun, and maybe a baseball game doesn't fit into that. So there's just a ton of uncertainty in Vegas because the hockey team's there, and then you're about to introduce the football team. And then what the heck do we do with the baseball team? Who really knows, but we'll find out soon, man. Harry, I don't know if this is putting you on the spot or not, but do you ever on a hot day, in, uh, like it probably is now when you go back to Chicago after the road trip, hot afternoon, it's a day game, do you ever pound down some buds? Well, <laughs> while, you, while you're calling a game, Harry, do you ever do that? Now, David, what do you think I've been doing the last half hour waiting to come on? <laughs> well, <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Next on the agenda, Josh Bell, switch hitter, Pittsburgh Pirates, 6'4", 240. The guy has a neck the size of a tree trunk. Like an oak tree, tree trunk. Like one of those big trees. It's like 100 years old. He is a stout fella. But one of the interesting things about the stout fella, Texas bread, right? They make them bigger in Texas, son. And Josh Bellet, he's, he, he, listen, the apple didn't fall far from the tree from this kid, but it was like a very large apple, like maybe the size of like a big ass, like watermelon or something, dude. Just like a basketball sized apple, right? That's, that's Josh Bell, man. Last year, he only hit 12 home runs, dude. A little odd, right? But baseball is one of those games to where even the a big, huge guy might not hit a bunch of home runs. Case in point, Yasiel Puig. You ever seen the guy? Looks huge, man. Looks like he could enter a bodybuilding competition. He can't hit a lick. Boy, they'll hit 20 home runs this year. So Josh Bell has apparently figured out his swing all right, so here's the thing. Since May 1st, so May 1st to now, June 2nd, he's second in slugging in all of baseball. He's only behind Nolan Arenado. Not a bad place to be, perennial MVP candidate. The guy that Mike Schmidt says is going to go down as the best third baseman in the history of the game when his career is said and done. Yeah. Home runs. Josh Bell's first tied with Alex Bregman, he's first in weighted runs created plus, which is basically a way to measure a player's total offensive value measured by runs scored. He's second in batting average, only to Nolan Arenado. Um, he's batting 371. He hit 12 home runs in the month. I don't know what his slugging was, like 700 or something like that. Um, Fangraphs has a number that's just basically like total offensive value. So the which basically is going to tell us like who had the most offensive value since the since May first. 
That's Josh Bell number one. Josh Bell right now since May 1st has more offensive value than what Olin Ar- Nolan Arenado does. Olin Arenado. You ever heard of that guy? Yeah. Um, he's first in RBI, second in weighted on base average, which is a number that tells you how a dude gets on base. Like weighted on base average as opposed to on base percentage. Like on base percentage is just like, did the dude get on base, right? That includes like a home run, triple, double, single, hit by pitch walk. But weighted on base average is a way to look at it and you say, hey, not all hits are created equal. So your weighted on base average actually increases more if you get like a double or a triple as opposed to getting hit in the hit by a curveball, right? So Josh Bell's second behind Nolan Arenado, right? Those are all crazy numbers. So Josh Bell has figured out how to hit. Like I said, 6'4", 240. The guy's huge. So if you don't watch a lot of Pirates games, just watch the guy bat. He had 12 home runs and 12 doubles in the month of May, right? So if you were to take all of the month of Mays that ever existed, ever, in all baseball, 150 years worth, right? When Model T was the car to drive and people were climbing up telephone poles to make phone calls and had to poop in outhouses, right? <laughs> the old, It's only happened two other times where a dude has hit 12 home runs and 12 doubles. The two other guys to do it were Hank Aaron and Frank Robinson in all the month of Mays that have ever been happening. And that says a lot, man, because Mays, like, early in the season, dude, you're kind of getting your bearings about you and stuff like that, Right? It's it's an it's a weird stat to dig into and be like, who really gives a crap about a month of May? But hey man, if you take all the month of Mays ever and you did something that only Hank Aaron and Frank Robinson have ever done, that's a pretty huge deal. Last year, <laughs> Josh Bell hit twelve home runs in 148 games. He just hit twelve in twenty nine games. That's a pretty big deal, dude. But dude. I'm so impressed by it. A, because he's a switch hitter, dude. For a switch hitter to hit for power is super impressive, man. Mickey Mantle's got the most home runs for a switch hitter at like 538, I believe. And then Eddie Murray hit like 508 home runs. So a guy that's a switch hitter that can hit with this kind of power is super dangerous because you get him up late in the game Hey, man, put whatever pitcher you want in, but Josh Bell's going to get the advantage because he can stand on whatever side of the plate he wants. But what Josh Bell has done this year, when he's increased his power, dude, he's got, he's using his size to his advantage, and he's got behind the science of his swing. He's repeating his mechanics. He's very intelligent at the plate. He's able to repeat what he does, and he's able to go in with the game plan and not think too much. Always super impressed by a guy that can just turn around his swing because there's so much science and thought and zen and calmness that has to go into a swing. You have to trust that you can go up to the plate and you don't have to swing the bat as hard as possible. You just have to be smart with the way you control your body. And he's doing it. Super impressive. Back to the month of May and players doing really good in the month of May, Josh Bell, this is weird as stat still, but we're going to talk about the month of May, man. April showers bring May flowers. My boy, Josh Bell, beautiful flower in the month of May. He got more total bases in this month of May since Willie Mays 
<laughs> Willie Mays did it in May in 1958. 93 total bases. In the month of May, guys with like 93 total bases or more, guys on that list, Josh Bell, Willie Mays, Mickey Mantle, Stan Musial, Babe Ruth, Al Simmons, Cy Williams. Can I be honest? I don't know who Cy Williams is, but Ty Cobb's also on that list, dude. So there are a lot of studs. The basically what Josh Bell did as far as home runs and total bases in a month and hitting, it's not just the home run number, truth be told, even though he hit the most home runs in the month of May, tied with Alex Bregman, all MLB, is the fact that he is hitting the ball hard and he's hitting power. So 12 home runs, 12 doubles in a month. When you take the month of May, him, Hank Aaron, Frank Robinson, and then like total bases in the month of May. Listen, the guy didn't hit 20 home runs in a month, steroid era type stuff, but he got a lot of total bases this month. He's covering some ground, and that speaks to his weighted runs created being so high. He's making a difference on his team, and that's why he was the most valuable offensive player in the month of May, even more so than Cody Bellinger and Christian Yelich. Josh Bell, put him on your radar, man. I'm happy to see the guy to hit good. But let's talk about switch hitters a little bit, man. So I went through the list. So anytime I ever think of a switch hitter, I immediately think of Eddie Murray. Dude, I love Eddie Murray. I envision him always. Eddie Murphy played for... <laughs> Eddie. I said Eddie Murphy. Listen, I'm too lazy to cut this out, right? Eddie... So you're just going to hear me say Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murray, dude, played for the Dodgers, the Indians... Hold on. The Dodgers, the Indians, the Orioles. Uh, I honestly, I forgot what other teams he played for. Hold on. I'm going to tell you in a second. And I don't even remember where he closed out his career at, Eddie Murray. Um, Here, let me go. Do a Google search. Because he went from the Orioles to the Dodgers. Oh, shoot. Not bad. Orioles, Dodgers. He was actually a Met for two years, and then Cleveland, and then basically like after he was like forty and forty-one, he went back to Baltimore for sixty-four games. Anaheim and the Dodgers for like a handful of games, right? But always, no matter what, when I think of Eddie Murray, I think of him in a Baltimore Orioles uniform with like his afro sticking out the side of his helmet with like some good like chops for like facial hair. He's my all-time favorite switch hitter, right? Anytime when I was a kid and I would get an Eddie Murray baseball card, I would be so pumped about it because I loved those vintage Baltimore Orioles jerseys. Love the colors of him, dude. And just, he always just hit well. And I just loved it. And I was like, Eddie, Eddie Murray, man, 500 home runs, switch hitter. Dude, I remember switch hitting, dude, when I played baseball as early as like grade school, dude, I would start to bat left-handed, man. And, but when I batted left-handed, I would pretend I was Fred McGriff, dude. I loved Fred McGriff's swing, but I, I enjoyed hitters that were switch hitters, right? And so I went through the list and I was like, well, what other switch hitters do I like? And obviously Mickey Mantle is by far the greatest switch hitter, um, that usually Mickey Mantle, any list you get, Mickey Mantle's the best switch hitter that ever lived. 100% hands down, even played through the knee injuries. Mickey Mantle's your guy, right? He's got the most home runs by a switch hitter, which I'm not going to look that up and waste your time while you're driving in your car on your way to your boring job. Yeah, I think it was like 538 home runs, 530-something, right? Um, Eddie Murray, he's the only switch hitter with 500 home runs and 3,000 hits. 
That's huge. Top switch hitter. Listen, I didn't know Pete Rose was a switch hitter. 42-56 hits, 44-game hit streak, which is a National League record. Chipper Jones is the only switch hitter with 400 home runs and a 300 average all-time. Larry Chipper Jones is my friend. Rock Reigns, man, former Expo switch hitter, thought to be the greatest leadoff hitter of all time. Rock Reigns. Robbie Alomar. Dude, I liked a Robbie Alomar card when I was a kid, man. Him and Sandy Alomar Jr., you get him on, um, you know, like an Indians card. And then, you know, Robbie Alomar being like, uh, I've got, dude, I remember Robbie Alomar's, Roberto Alomar's rated rookie card in Don Russ. And he was a Padre, and it was just like a headshot. Like a headshot you get, like, in second grade during picture day. But you just got off the playground, and you're, like, super tired. And so the person points the picture at you, and you just sit there and look at the camera like it's a mugshot. And then when you get home, and then your mom gets your pictures, like, three weeks later, she's super pissed. Like, can you even smile, you idiot? That's Roberto Alomar's. Don Russ rated rookie card in a Padres uniform. Man, it looks like a mugshot. I love that card, man. It's an 88 Don Russ, I believe, in my favorite set. That and 86 tops. Yep, 86 tops, 88 Don Russ, my favorite sets of all time. Dude, I loved them when I was a kid. Ruben Sierra, switch hitter, man. Ruben was a switch hitter. He had the most glorious leg kick of them all when he hit a home run. I remember in the ALDS... It was, what year was that? 95, where the Mariners beat the Yankees in the Divisional Series. That was when Dom Addingly, that was his last year as a Yankee, dude. And Ruben Sierra hit a home run and super pimped it out of the batter's box. I hit it, fell backwards a little bit and stared at it. Took a wide turn, like stepped back and like, he stepped back. As he took his wide turn, he stepped back like he saw a ghost, like someone had scared him by the pantry, right? Like, you didn't know your wife was digging in the pantry and you got scared. And then he, like, popped his collar, like, popped his jersey real hard and then went for it, man. One of the pimps home runs of all time, man. Willie McGee, phenomenal switch hitter, Willie McGee. I bet you didn't know that Willie McGee won the National League batting title when he was an Oakland Athletic. Yeah, that happened because he was an Oakland Athletic. Hold on, hold on. He was a St. Louis Cardinal, and he was obviously leading in batting, but he got traded to the Oakland A's at the trade deadline, but he had accumulated enough at-bats to qualify, and no one surpassed him. So he won the National League batting title as an Oakland Athletic. The last switch hitter I'm going to talk about, Ted Simmons, the greatest catcher who's not in the Hall of Fame. I don't know why Ted Simmons isn't in the Hall of Fame, but he was a switch hitter. He is looked at as the greatest switch hitting catcher of all time. Still not in the Hall of Fame. And he can hit well from both sides of the plate, right? And I've, I hold Ted Simmons close to my heart because when I was a catcher in like uh, Little League, I had a Ted Simmons catcher's man. I still have it right here behind me. Man, my dad saved it all these years. So when I went back to Illinois last year, I brought it back with me. Man, it smells so good. I love Ted Simmons, man. And yeah, he could hit damn near equal from both sides of the plate, which is super valuable because he didn't have weak spots. He could match up however he wanted. He was a lifetime 285 hitter with a 785 OPS and a 118 OPS plus. Do you know how hard it is to find a catcher that can actually hit well for that long? Yep. He's not in the Hall of Fame. I, I, I'm, 
I'm depressed about that, man. I'm depressed he had multiple 300 seasons. Seven times he got MVP votes, man. Those are some of my favorite switch hitters. I think Eddie Eddie Murray, not to be confused with Eddie Murphy, even though I love Eddie Murphy as a stand-up comic. You ever watch Raw? It's great. But Eddie Murray is my favorite switch hitter of all time. And maybe Ted Simmons is my second, man. But I love Willie McGee. I love the way he batted. I love the way he swung the ball. And Ruben Sierra with his wiffle ball leg kick, the same one that you do in the backyard when you're seven beers in and you're really trying to hit a wiffle ball hard. That's how Ruben Sierra swings a bat. All right, let's get to the next topic. Billy Hatcher, when he played here, he used to ask me, how many bow ties are we going to throw tonight? He said, we're going to throw tonight. And I said, I don't know, maybe a couple. And Satchel Page was the one that gave me that. He, one time I was talking to Satchel, and he said, Nolan, you know what the best pitch in baseball is? And I said, well, it's a fastball. And he said, no, it's a bow tie. And I said, what? what's a bow tie? And he said, you throw it right here. <laughs> Where were you right. It's Where? a very effective We're pitch. camera. Where was that pitch supposed to go? <laughs> right here. Signs <laughs> up. It was a very effective pitch. All right. Next on the agenda, best team in baseball since May 1st. Okay. Popular response might be, I don't know, the Milwaukee Brewers, the New York Yankees, the Tampa Bay Rays, the Houston Astros. Some people might even say the Chicago Cubs or the St. Louis Cardinals, who maybe watched part of the last month of baseball, but didn't do a whole lot beyond that and are living in denial, right? But, holy crap, the best team in baseball since May 1st? The Minnesota Twins. The Minnesota Twins have the best record in baseball right now. Since May 1st, I mean, the Minnesota Twins have the best record in baseball overall. Overall. But since May 1st, they lead all of Major League Baseball in runs scored, RBIs, wins above replacement, weighted runs created plus, weighted on base average. It's the Rockies, then the Twins. Well, the Rockies play in Coors Field, so whatever. Batting average, Rockies, then the Twins. Home runs, Twins. So everything that they lead in, home runs, war, WRC plus, RBIs, runs scored, best record of baseball, Twins. Kyle Gibson pitches really good. They got a guy, Jose Barrios, who's pitching really good. Big Mike Pineda is pitching really good. The Twins are smoking teams. They don't have, like, a weak schedule. Like, I turn on a Twins game, and, dude, they sl- I think they played the Tampa Bay Rays this weekend and beat the crap out of them, dude. It was like old-school WWF on Saturday morning where Ultimate Warriors, like, fighting some jobber and like beats him in 30 seconds and like that's what the Minnesota Twins are doing to teams right now man it's like crazy I don't think anyone saw this coming well no I shouldn't say that nobody saw this coming I mean the Twins made a wild card playoff game in 2017 then had an off year in 2018 they fired Paul Molitor Right? How would you like you get fired one year, but the very year before that, you were manager of the year in the American League? Dude, baseball is a cruel world. And now they're playing good, and the Twins got good players. You've heard me talk about Williams Astudio. And then they've got other guys on that team that hit good. Honest to God, I can't name a one of them. I think they have Jorge Polanco. If Jorge Polanco, he hits good. They've got another catcher named Mitch Garver. I think he's been hitting pretty good. They've got a catcher, Jason Castro. He hits pretty good. Um, Hitters on the Twins. I got nothing, man. <laughs> I, I whoever, Whatever Escobar I said, he's... No, Jorge Polanco. That's the guy that failed a steroid test last year. 
Yep. He's on the Twins. I don't know anyone. Oh, no. Keon Broxton's on the Twins, right? Him or Byron Buxton, one or the two. I get them confused because they're both really fast and they're great defenders and can't hit for crap. But whoever they got is hitting the ball really good. That's all I got, man, for the Twins, dude. Uh, all right, next segment. I didn't think I was going to make a story today, but I'm making one. So I get on an elevator. Dude gets off an elevator, walks past me, and he goes, there you go, brother. And the whole time I'm thinking, why would you say that to me? You don't even know me. The door closes. I get punched in the face by a fart. My goodness, why would you do that? Like right, left, combo, uppercut finish him my goodness bro like don't do that man that's just disrespectful stunning bro i was choking you ever get in that situation where something smells so bad you don't want to breathe out your nose but you don't want to breathe out your mouth either it's just like you eating it that's what i felt like i was like i'm gonna just suffocate myself screw it but that's all i got all right i'm gonna get some mouthwash and an air freshener and a candle Poopery or something. I don't know. All right, this is this is gonna close out the show. And listen, so I was thinking about it the other day, and I was like, what if when major league players came up to bat, they had descriptions of themselves, like little leaguers do, or before the games, the players would like introduce themselves with a fun fact. Like, do you remember last year that little twelve-year-old kid who was in the Little League World Series? His little description when he came up to the plate said, I have a crush on my teacher. And then in parentheses, it says, sup, Miss Stevens. That was his description that he had a crush on his teacher, right? And then when that um that Boog kid came out, right? Boog. Boog. I don't know what his name, that real big kid who's like, my name is Boog and I like to hit dingers. Like that was his introduction, right? Like before the game. And I think Major League play- Baseball players should do that. And so I wrote some. I made some up, and I'm going to read them right here. So I'm going to read you if if I were the writing them, man, because I'm a writer for a living. I work in a marketing department. And so I wrote these up real quick as baseball's new marketing person who's here to make players seem interesting to fans based on what I think players do in their spare time, who their personalities I think are. And this is where we go. So the first one I wrote was Max Scherzer. Now, Max Scherzer is a crazy dude. He's nutty, and he might be a psychopath. So Max Scherzer's description, one time I was camping, and I was hungry. So I caught a wolf, and I ate it raw. That's 100% Max Scherzer, right? That's honestly not even intended to be funny. But if you've ever seen Max Scherzer during a mound visit, when the coach tries to pull him, or if you've ever seen like his eyes or heard him grunt on the mound, he's just the type of guy that would possibly go camping and be like, well, I'm not really in the mood for some s'mores. I want some meat. And he goes out and grabs a wolf and just catches it and jumps on his back and like breaks its neck and then just starts biting into it. Like that's the most Max Scherzer thing in the world. Okay. Craig Council. I wrote one about Craig Council. Do little, little Craig Council. You know, you ever see Craig Council go out to the mound on a mound visit? He looks like the Bat Boy, man. Just a cute little guy who probably says nothing of five, six, and it's got the skin of a baby face, right? Here's Craig Council's description. <clears throat> I look like a child, so when I take my kids to Chuck E. Cheese, I get to jump in the ball pit, too. (laughs) That's great. That's a compliment to Craig Council. There's nothing more fun in life than the ball pit at a Chuck E. Cheese. Ball pit, ski ball, Chuck E. Cheese, pizza. 
We're good. And did you know that Chuck E. Cheese's real name is Charles Entertainment Cheese? But he goes by Chuck E. Cheese. That's great, man. Uh, Zach Davies' description. You ever see Zach Davies? If you haven't, he's built just about like Craig Council. So my description for Zach Davies is, Craig Council is not my dad. <laughs> I always joke like that because they're both just little guys, man. They're both little guys that don't look like they're old enough to buy liquor and might not be tall enough to ride the ninja at Six Flags, right? That's exactly what I mean. Matt Harvey, Matt Harvey's description, I can hold my pee all day. Yep, and if you don't know what that's about, if you're scratching your head at work and you're like, what the hell is he talking about? It was like three years ago when Matt Harvey was still with the Mets and was going out and getting drunk every night, he actually got like some sort of bladder infection because he was holding his pee for too long because I presume he was out getting drunk every night and just didn't want to go to the bathroom. So he just held his pee and something happened, man. Something really weird happened. Okay, Zach Granke. Zach Granke's description. I'd rather hit for myself. Chicks dig the log ball. That's not intended to be funny either. Because currently, Zach Granke is batting 296 with a 345 on base and a 667 slugging percentage. Good for a 1011 OPS and a 153 OPS plus. He's raking. Zach Granke right now is listed as a backup infielder for the Arizona Diamondbacks. He was taking ground balls at third base last week. Zach Granke, I didn't know this stuff about Zach Granke. I just thought Zach was like a weird dude who threw a slow ball. Yes, Zach Granke has a slow ball. Google it, or you can go to my Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter accounts. Greatest Show on Dirt, you know how to find me, because I posted it as well. Dude, he's, he throws a slow ball, dude, that's like 65 miles an hour, and he fools people. He gets people to fall out of the batter's box on this pitch, right? But real talk, uh, Zach Granke's the real deal. Okay, Jordan Hicks. Jordan Hicks, fun fact for Little League. I was in the original Back to the Future as the power source to run the DeLorean until the directors had the idea for lightning striking the clock tower. Okay, Jordan Hicks throws 105 miles an hour. Dude's got power, but Jordan Hicks is getting hit lately. And what makes me weird about Jordan Hicks is he throws like 105, but he doesn't even strike out like one guy an inning at this point. He's he's he does not get the swing and misses that Aroldis did on his straight fastball when it was like in the 105 range. I mean, he doesn't probably get the swing and misses that Aroldis does right now. Like I think Aroldis probably still strikes out more guys per nine than what Jordan Hicks does, and Aroldis ain't throwing 105. He's throwing like a hundred right now, but he's still got like a 153 ERA where Hicks is running like four and a half, maybe five after today's debacle. I'm not really too sure. So. Keep that eye out for Jordan Hicks because stuff's not working out for him. And I don't know if he's going to get sent back down. I mean, he went straight from single A to the pros. And just, like, he'll get saves and get guys out. But stuff just doesn't look right because guys aren't swinging and missing that. I mean, guys are turning on his 104 because I don't think it's moving good. I really don't. Um, oh, Joey Gallo. Joey Gallo. Here's Joey Gallo's Little League quote. I'm not. I'm only going to do like two more of these, dude. I'll do like two of the best ones I have. Maybe I'll give you three real quick, okay? Joey Gallo, I bet I can hit this baseball over them woods right yonder, right past them alpacas. Yep, that's Joey Gallo because he plays in Texas and hits baseballs really far. He actually hurt his oblique the other day because he swings so hard. Kyle Schwarbers, 
Uh, where'd the ball go? I swear it was right in my glove. Bartolo Colon, do they have fruit by the foot at the concessions? And do we have a time between innings to go get some? Bryce Harper, my batting average has faded, but thank God my hairline hasn't. John Crook, I never worked out once during my playing days. Barry Bonds, I just went to the Jamba Juice by the house. I have no idea what they put in that kale ribbian breeze. <laughs> John Lester, I like to play baseball in my pajamas. CeCe Sabathia, me too. Because those guys wear uniforms like a 4XL. Looks just like pajamas. The, what other ones do I have? Oh, Giancarlo Stanton. My groin hurts. <laughs> the guy can't stay healthy at all. I think his groin's hurt again, man. It's like he hurts his groin all the time. Like, do groin exercise. Like, I don't know what that means, man. Like, do you do, like, do Kegels? It's really weird. Last but not least, man, we've got Edwin Jackson, who just joined his 14th major league team. Here's Edwin Jackson's fun little league fact. I pitched, and this is true, I've pitched in 35 different major league ballparks. There are only 30 major league teams. Figure that one out, genius. I literally don't know where I live. That's Edwin Jackson, my man. That's crazy. That's it. Wrap it up. That's 50 minutes, dude. Thanks for listening. I will... Listen. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Nope, that's it. That's going to be the show. Thanks for listening. Uh, We'll catch you guys next week, and... Bye. All right. I'm going to maybe try to record an episode this week as well. We'll see how that goes. All right. I'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.